0: The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me, this is wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I not to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty. You say I got the better of your deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we are speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish that. Perhaps that I may be, that it may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, con- conceit, and disorder.
1: I normally would thank my son. That was a very passionate reading of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. (laughs) That's all right, bud. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if to stop him or just let him. (laughs) I just let him run through it. So, This morning we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, we're to the section where Paul talks about the body, diversity, unity, and love. And I've kept chapter 12 and chapter 13 together. I wanted to do these together. And as we kind of review our major themes of 1 Corinthians, he starts out talking about the divisions and the problems they were having there in the church. And we looked briefly at... The main reason they were having these divisions is because they were there was this lack of valuing souls. He then talks about some of their depravities that they had going on, sexual immorality, uh, problems they had with one another, suing one another, uh, personal, which led into chapter seven through ten, and personal problems, the problems they had with marriage, uh, questions about marriage, ma- concerning marriage, um, meats offered to sacrifice to idols, and he deals with those problems in. As he goes in through 11 through 14, there's, it's a combination of worship problems and understanding their different roles in the church. And we're going to kind of deviate from our pattern here a little bit. We've been kind of moving through this chronologically because every chapter, it seems like, has been set up with here's a problem, here's a solution, and this is how we deal with it. As we get through chapter 12 through 14, he begins talking about, in chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. ...that the church had and the problems they were having with clamoring for different spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about the latter half of chapter 12 and 13 today. And then next time we're going to talk about the latter half of 14, which is the assembly... ...and how they should conduct themselves in the assembly. And then we're going to go back and kind of do a modge podge of 12 and 14... ...and discuss the subject of spiritual gifts and Holy Spirit baptism and things like that. And then we'll conclude with chapter 15 and the discussion of the resurrection, which is the most lengthy discussion in the resurrection in the entirety of the New Testament. But as we begin today, I hope you read, we're reading on the board while Aidan was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I hope you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and understood what Paul was driving at. And I have a question for you this morning, a couple of questions. First and foremost, what is your role at work? When you go to work every day, do you know what that role is? Do you know what you're supposed to do? The next question is, do you know your role in the church? Is that clear to you what your role is? You know, oftentimes, it's not clear to us what our role in the church is. You think about when you go to work, someone says, this is what you do. Here's your responsibilities. These are the things you're supposed to do. When you consider your role in the church, it's not always as clear cut. Yeah, there are times that the elders come and say, I need you to fulfill this responsibility and take care of this thing. But the action of the role in the church oftentimes is where we evaluate and self-evaluate and say, what role can I serve? What can I use my gifts, talents, and abilities for? And the question is, is have you ever done that? Have you ever just sat down and said, what is my role in this body? Many years ago, my wife and I went through this exercise, and we decided that we needed to define what our role is as a couple. And we sat down, and we went through all, had a very long discussion, and we narrowed it down. We wanted two things that we really were good at, we thought we were good at. And there was a physical and a spiritual thing. The first of that being in the physical, we thought we were very good at bringing people together, cooking food, having meals, and having fellowship. So we put energy, effort, and focus in that. The other was more of kind of a spiritual thing, knowing where we had come from in our lives and the troubles that we'd had in our youth and what we, how we conducted ourselves and what God and church and Christ had done for us We were going to determine, we determined that we would be a judgment-free zone, knowing that people have problems and struggles and we weren't going to cast any type of judgment on people. And we said this is what we're patterning our lives and our role in the church is as a couple. And then I looked at it individually. What is my role individually? Well, first and foremost, I'm a teacher. I'm very passionate about the subject of being a teacher. I spend a lot of time talking to other teachers. I spend other a lot of time trying to develop ways to be a better teacher. The other role that I serve is the one that I'm probably the most gifted and have the most talent in and just comes naturally to me and that is the agitator of children. We don't want soft kids. Also, looking at that, though, you know, there are roles that I don't serve and I will probably never serve. One of those roles is I will not be a song leader. And it's not from a lack of effort or education or anything like that. You know, when we lived in Fort Worth, I thought, I'm going to clamp down on this song leading thing and I'm going to figure it out. I reached out to Rusty Springer and I said, hey, send me all your material on leading songs. And every day at lunch for a period of time, I went out to my car I read over this material. I went and bought this book, Singing for Dummies. I seriously bought this book. And I tried to figure out, you know, this many flats is an A-flat. I learned how to, as best as I could, read music. Try to pitch songs. And when we were in Fort Worth, I led songs quite a bit. I was just terrible at it. I can't find the note in my head. I did learn that I was a tenor, and I taught myself how to sing tenor. But I don't see myself in that capacity. If it comes down to it and everybody, you know, loses their voice and you need a song leader one day, I can do it. It just isn't going to be any good. Another role that I will not be probably ever be called to be in is what you would, I guess, define as a manual labor role. When these guys say, hey, I need some help doing something manually, my name isn't in the top of that list or anywhere in that list for that matter, and I don't have a problem with that. Everybody I know knows that I have a horrible back, and out of care for me, they won't call me, which is fine because my wife appreciates it that I can walk around every day. But those are being honest evaluation of my own personal life and what I can do. And as we go through this and what Paul discusses today, I want you to think about that in earnest about your role. Because I don't think whenever you look at passages such as this, the idea isn't this isn't an option. This is a requirement. One of the common things that people say today in western christianity is that the church is a hospital for sinners. And i disagree with that. Because when you read passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when you read when Paul discusses this in the book of Ephesians, when Peter talks about the church being lively stones, it is the imagery you get is not one that says this is a group of sickly people. That this is a body that is thriving together to grow. So as we look at these verses today, think about ways you can help the body thrive and the body to grow. For just as the body is many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul sets the stage immediately as he's gone into this. Prior to this, he's been dealing with the subject of spiritual gifts, which, like I said, we're going to talk later, and them clamoring over different spiritual gifts. And Paul says, I need you to understand that you're all one body. You're creating division amongst yourself, trying to go after these things, and you have this, you have this, but you need to understand that you work together. And he says there, though many are, for in one spirit we are baptized into one body. This oneness, this unity that he's driving home. If you think about from the onset of 1 Corinthians to now, this is where he's driving it all home. He begins in chapter 1 talking about division. And that's what it's been throughout the entirety of this. And now he's going to drive it home. And he comes out and just says, straightforward, we were all baptized into one body. And it was because of Christ. For in one Spirit, and this is by one Spirit or for in one Spirit, has created some confusion and understanding. Many people have taken this and kind of separated baptism from... And they they think about the, the Holy Spirit being Holy Spirit baptism as if there's two different things. And we'll dig into this later when we talk about spiritual gifts and stuff. But what this word or terminology literally means when it's talking about the Spirit, it's under His influence, under His direction, or by His agency. The literal translation that we see whenever we look at that is an agent. So it's not just about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the baptism under the influence of the baptism. Notice that Paul says that all were baptized in one Spirit. This is the repeated thing that you see throughout the New Testament. Whenever you look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's been the pattern throughout the entirety of the New Testament. It's a shared conversion, and many people have taken these and kind of split them off as if they're two separate things. And the reality is, is every time these are discussed, they're discussed together. Now, Paul doesn't speak on something that, as if it's a limited thing. If you go all the way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 13, he asks the question, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul. There is no separation of Spirit and baptism here. What Paul is driving at is the beginning, the thing that set you all together in Christ, in the beginning, was your baptism. That's where the washing and regeneration of of the Spirit comes from. That's where remission of sins came from. And you were all set in this together at this point. And what he's wanting them to understand is you have this unity, not because of anything in this world, not because of any other God, but you have this unity, and it's singular because it's in Jesus Christ. So he sets the tone very early on about what he's driving at. They have this shared conversion. We have this shared conversion experiment, Excuse me, experience But ultimately, also that we are different. The body does not consist of one member but of many. Because I am not a hand and I do not belong to the body, the foot can never say, look at the hand and go, well, I don't do what the hand does, so therefore, I'm just not going to be a part of the body. It can't just disconnect itself and go on, can it? No. The foot serves a function. The body serves a function. He continues on. With this same thing when he talks about the eye and the ear. The eye can't say that because I'm or the ear can't say because I'm not an eye, I'm just not part of the body. There is unity in every aspect. I don't know if you've taken any anatomy classes. I took quite a few anatomy classes when I was in mortuary school. Although on the other side of life, but you you learned how all of that worked. And how the body, just to do the most simple of activities, what is required? For you to just walk. The number of things that has to happen in your body just for one foot to move forward. Whether it's the function of the heart, the lungs, the brain, the foot, the ligaments, the nerves. All of these things work together simultaneously to take one single step. The question is if those things didn't happen, would you be able to take that step? If the heart said, I'm not pumping blood to the foot today, would you be able to take that step? Because the foot can't just say, or the heart can't say, Well, I don't have any use of the foot. They all need to work together to move forward. And if you think about that in terms of the church, it gets even more intricate in the sense that we're all working together to do what? To move the church forward, to grow this body, to make it stronger so that it has a future. Here's the great truth about this. Different parts of the body do different things. And Paul is calling for diversity, for understanding. For understanding that there are things that I can't do or things that I don't do that may be things that Will does. I don't look at Will and go, well, you know, you don't do what I do. I really don't have any use for you. Will, I hope, doesn't look at me and go, well, you can't do what I do. I really don't have any use for you. Instead, I look at Will and I hope Will would look at me and go, I celebrate and I appreciate that you do things that I don't do or things that I can't do because those are things that have to happen. It's having a proper perspective and understanding of those around us. There are two dangers that we have in this. Number one, Western Christianity is one in which we probably harp on this all the time, that Christianity has become something that you do and not what you are. People come together once, twice, three times a week, They worship God and then they go about their lives. The interaction in the body only happens three times a week or two times a week or one time a week. Let me ask you a question. If your body came together to function three times a week, do you think you would be very effective in your job? Do you think you would be very effective... In your home? Of course not. The second danger in this is too often we will look around and we'll go, well, this is being done by this person or these persons, and so therefore I can't do anything. And so we just check out. And that's a sad reality. The truth is, we have two hands. We have two feet. We need multiple people many times in multiple roles. And we have to have those things to accomplish that. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? If we were all an eye, where would the hearing come from? If we were all a foot, where would the smell come from? I guess the foot would be smelly enough. But where would the sense of smell come from? Paul's driving at a diverse group of people. Working together to achieve the same goal. Just as a body does the same thing. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. The parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow great honor. Let me ask you a question. Whenever you look at your body, which part do you bestow greater honor on? Let's think of this in exercise terms. When you go to the gym, you know, Monday is International Chess Day at the gym, and you might throw back in there. Tuesdays is buys and tries. Wednesdays is legs. I mean... It's the same thing. But at what point do you ever go and work out your ear? One time, for those of you that exercise, have you ever worked out your ear? Now, let me tell you a story. Years ago, I was, our parking lot at work is quite far from the building. And it was a cold day. Wind was blowing 50 miles an hour. And I left the building and I ran to the car. I opened the door and when I went in the car, I went at an angle in which I smacked my ear on the frame of the car. And I sat in the car doing this, rubbing my ear. My ear immediately let me know how important it was that it was in pain. And every part of my body all of a sudden got the focus of what? my ear, because it needed it. It's not one in which I place a a large deal of honor on, but at the same time, my body knew that it needed help. Paul illustrates this even further as he gets to the bottom and says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is probably this arm is probably the greatest closer in major league baseball history. Can you tell me who that is? You can't. Because we don't honor the arm, do we? We honor the man that the arm is attached to. That's Mariano Rivera. He's the one in the Hall of Fame. Not his arm. The whole body is honored together. Although his arm does a lot of great work, did a lot of great work. But his arm wouldn't have achieved what it achieved if it wasn't for the rest of his body. Now, I want you to think about that. And your life and what you've gone through and what you've been able to accomplish spiritually, what you've been able to overcome spiritually... And how you've done that. And that without the rest of the body, you wouldn't have been able to overcome that. You wouldn't have been able to achieve that. Because there were people and other parts of the body playing their role to help you out. So therefore, in God's eyes, the whole body is honored. And it's not just about you. The eyes do not serve themselves, but the whole body. The hands don't serve themselves, but the whole body. The heart doesn't pump blood just to itself, but the whole body. Now, there are times in a body that something comes up and it begins to consume all the resources and kill off the rest of that body. And what do we call that? A cancer. And that was Paul's admonishment in chapter 6 whenever he was dealing with sexual immorality and the cancer that had come about in that body. And he wanted them to deal with it directly. The question becomes, are you a part of the body and functioning in that role? Whatever role that is. Fulfilling your job, your responsibility to move the body forward, or are you just using its resources? So in doing this, I did a little bit of an experiment, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. I approached this with a little bit of apprehension, but I felt like it needed to be done. <clears throat> Most times when we discuss passages such as 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when we talk about roles, we're, we tend to be kind of either vague and not very specific, or we kind of narrow those things down, and it seems to be things that are mostly surrounding the assemblies of the church. So what I want to show you today is I kind of broke things down into 15 categories in my life. And although we could probably go a lot longer than 15 categories, I thought these were the ones that would serve the purpose the best. So I broke my life down into 15 categories, and I thought, these are the things that I need from you, and these are the roles that I have to have from you, because I think we need to understand that not everybody can be a teacher or a song leader, but there are so many roles that we can all play together to help one another. And I broke down my life outside of my family. And this is what I came up with Am I being dumb? I tend to be a passion driven person. I have no qualms about that. And recognizing that, I also know that I can make some dumb emotional decisions. So I have people I talk to. Stuff's not working. I'm not the most mechanically inclined person, or ability have an ability to troubleshoot those things. These are the people I talk to when I'm having struggles with those areas in my life. I need some meat, not physically, but there are times that I need to bounce things off of other people. I like to want to chew more meat. Discuss the Word of God with people. And these are the guys that I typically go to to do that with. Kids, man, they are consumed so much of our thoughts. And the struggles that we have as parents. And what all the different things that keep constantly coming our way. And these are the people that I constantly go to to discuss struggles that I might have as a parent. Laughter. Everybody needs to have laughter. We don't want to go through life being boring and dull, and we like to have laughter in our life. These people constantly provide me with laughter. Hugs help the soul for me. I'm a hugger. I don't have a problem admitting that. I need that physical contact. My wife and my kids will, you know, well, not my wife, my kids will probably tell you, you know, sometimes it's a little bit much. But that's very, very important to me. When I think about the future of our church, and I look at all the young couples that are just starting their families, And I look at the college kids and the high school kids. And I think about all the great things that we have going forward. Because I really want this to keep going even when I'm dead and gone. Sharing in my joy. I want you to notice that word joy is singular. And this has to do with one very specific hobby that I have in fishing. I've had a lot of joy over the years, (laughs) taking your kids and fishing, hearing them laugh and giggle, watching them catch their first fish. It has been a great joy of mine, sharing in my pain. There's been plenty of times in my life that I've had struggles physically, and there have been those that share in that pain. There are those that it goes down to a deeper level. These people know me and know my dark places and know my weaknesses. They can point those out for me very necessary that i have that in my life i look at the wisdom that i've learned from the older folks in our congregation over the years and i think about the number of times and being frustrated being a parent and the wisdom they've given me not just from the standpoint of instruction but just looking at the big picture and the entirety of it all and stepping back a little bit, I think about the gospel and understanding that in 2023, we need to understand that it still works. And I look at the folks that have come and I, the folks that bring other people and have people in and share that gospel. And I'm excited and I'm encouraged. Times of need. There have been times in my life that people have come to me and just said, It's obvious. That they've come to me and you really need something. And it's become apparent. And they've come and aided, or we may be sick and they've brought food. Coach them up. I've said that one of my passions and my role as a teacher, and I, I care for the future generation of teachers. And I want our teachers to be strong in the future. And we have a lot of young men that have been very encouraging to me in their ability to take criticism, to grow from that criticism, to be encouraged by other teachers. And they always... Have a willing ear whenever you want to talk to them. I'm, I'm always encouraged by that. Spreading the love. You know, there's one of the things that I look forward to people, and it's just there's people that they've, they've just got a smile, and they're always willing to be there, they've got a kind word. When I was younger, my first job as a funeral director, the the boss, my boss always said, A funeral director has two things, always has two things a kind word and a pen. And I got the pen thing down really well. The kind word, need work on that. These people always have that smile and that kind word ready to serve. Now, as I show you this list of Groups, categories, and names. It's not my intention to try to recruit you in any of these. It's not my objective. My objective is to show you for one person the number of names that have been on this board. And how valuable you are just to me. Now multiply that by everybody in this room. And then tell me you don't have a role. If we're being honest and sincere, just this exercise alone shows that for every person in this room, we have something, some way, that we can fulfill, nurture, help, grow the body of Christ. To help us move forward. Because without... These people, you people, in my lives, life, I don't know what I would be. I don't know where I would be. I know that spiritually, I would be suffering. As Paul continues on and transitions into chapter 13, I know oftentimes we, look, we, we, we like to look at chapter 13 on its own because we call it the, the love chapter. But whenever you look at what Paul says as he leads out of chapter 12 and goes into chapter 13, this is what he says. He's telling them to be concerned with their spiritual gifts and which ones to try to attain. But he goes on, and at the last sentence in chapter 12 is, And I will show you a still More excellent way. And he connects the body to love. And what is one of the most beautiful transitions that I believe I've ever seen, he then talks about the life without love, and he uses himself personally. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, talking about the spiritual gifts, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I want you to think about what Paul is saying here. He has had or dealt with every one of the spiritual gifts that they're arguing about. And in having all of those, and having this faith, and having this hope, and without love, none of it means anything. And there is the danger that we still face 2,000 years later. We can get together, worship God, say hi to one another, smile, deliver food, have people in our home, be there for them when they're sick. But if we're just doing it merely out of obligation and not for the purpose of love, then none of it means anything. Then the body is just functioning without the very thing that it needs the most. I want you to see what he says what love is not. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. He contrasts that throughout this chapter about what love is. That love is patient and kind, rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That love never ends. That it is eternal. One of the greatest misconceptions about 1 Corinthians, if you do any research, books, commentaries, or anything else, the same thing continually comes up that this, this is a, a church and this is a letter written about problems. And I don't agree with that. They had one problem. They didn't have love. It was singular. All the problems that, that he's been talking about, or all the things that he's been talking about up to this point, it is all symptoms of the one thing that they lacked, which is love. That's why I say, I've say i been saying all along that this is what Paul has been driving through. As he started in chapter 1, now he's in chapter 13. All these things that you have going on, all this division, all the struggles, all the sin, everything that you have going on with one another, you have these problems because you can't get along because you all lack in love. And if they would love one another, then they would function as a body together. They would identify what they need to do. They would identify how they could help. But they had to have love. When we look in chapter 13, broken down between what love is and what love is not, it becomes clear what this is about. What love is not, those characteristics, what are those focused on? They're focused on me. And I want you to think about all these things that he talks about, about what love is not. Every passage, every one of those words has a passage that he's already clearly defined. What love is not, all seems to be characteristics in which the the individual looks internal and not external. But whenever you look at what love is, it's all external. Is the focus on me? Or is the focus on we? Because whenever the focus is on me, Then I become rude. Then I become arrogant. Then I become boastful. Then I only concern about my needs. But when the focus is on we, it becomes patient. I become kind. I look and search for truth. Paul illustrated that with a life without love already in this. And I want you to think about that as he closes in with the last verse here. He says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And for the longest time, when I was younger, I used to say, well, love is greater than the other two because the other two will not be in heaven. By the time we get to heaven... Faith is secured. What your faith in is there. Hope is secured. What you have hope in is there, but love remains. And I believe that's true. Don't get me wrong. I still believe that's true. But as I looked at this, Paul isn't talking about kind of an eternal standpoint here. He's talking about the relationships that they have with one another. And he says of these three characteristics, of these three things, love is the greatest of these. And I want you to think about what he's saying there. He's already acknowledged whenever in the first part of this when he talks about faith. And without love, it's useless. And he talked about hope. And without love, it's useless. So what makes love the greatest of these when even when it comes to having relationships and looking at the body? What makes the love the greatest of these is that love is what activates the other two. It activates the other two for their purpose and place in our lives. That's why love is greater than faith and hope. Because you have to have love to have proper faith. You have to have love to have proper hope. It's like the three elements that you need in a fire. I don't remember that triangle when I was a kid that you learned in school. Oxygen, something to burn, and something to ignite it. Those, I think that's it. may not be right. But you needed all three of them. But the igniter is what kicks the whole thing off. And that's what love is. Love should be your igniter. To kick off everything in your life, but specifically, as we look in this passage your role in this body. Knowing that you are part of a greater group and a greater body, and we have a purpose and a goal to fulfill the responsibility of the gospel, to perpetuate the church and its growth. And I want you to think about something as we close today. The example that we have multiple times throughout the Scriptures of Christ and all these principles that we read of later is, there's no greater example of that than Him. Talk about someone that knew their role and fulfilled it perfectly. And this role was not a role in which He got a lot of glory for This role, ultimately, is what God he murdered. And he still fulfilled the role. It's easy for us to look at our lives and complain about the simplest of things. Maybe we're not getting the proper attention, or maybe we, should, we feel like we should have this role or being do, be doing this thing or being invited to this thing. Christ never complained, knowing what his role was, was ultimately to die for you. To suffer as a man for you. To be beaten, broken, murdered for you. And why did he do that? Love. He did it out of love for you. Love personified is what was sacrificed on that cross. That was what was given for you. The greatest example of that in Christ Himself. So I want you to give some thought to your role in the church, to your role in this body. Maybe you sit down and you write some things down. Maybe you get with your spouse and you talk about these things. Maybe you need some direction in that. You talk to Carrie and Jason. But this isn't an option. This is what we have to have to grow together and to move forward. Remember what Christ did and how He fulfilled His role out of love for you. Have you responded to that love? When He died on that cross, He expected a response from you. A willingness to submit to Him, to repent and be baptized. If you've not done that, we can help you with that today. Also understand that there are times that we do have struggles and pains in in our life, and sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need a hug. Sometimes we need prayers. If you would find yourself in either of these groups, we ask you to come forward as we sing the song that's been selected.